Just like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get when you are listening to Vija Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, before we get into the episode, I kind of wanted to address a few uh, Vija Please uh, connections, Vija Please adjacent things. Would that be all right with you? Shoot. First and foremost, uh, our podcast brother in arms over at Halen Well Met. We've had him on the show. Uh, one of my favorite episodes ever because it involved the, a cool cameo by the EMH. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty sweet. That was fucking great. Uh, they've had a couple episodes uh, that they were able to get out, which, you know, considering they do a podcast that's real play d and I imagine it's been hard as hell for them to record, you know, trying to get everyone together. Not everyone's got different tolerance levels when it comes to COVID stuff, and it's completely understandable. Uh, but I just wanted to say, hey, you know, give them a listen if you have the opportunity. I can't recommend them enough. Clearly, uh, you know, they've got voices for radio, and I mean that in the best way possible. And also, they gave us voice acting uh, jobs for the first time in our lives. So that was cool. Second, big shout out to Ian and Sarah. Like, we don't say it at the end of every episode, but they are the lovely musicians behind the crappy recorder version of Voyager's theme song that you hear at the beginning and end of every episode of Voyager, Please, which they created essentially on a dare uh, and had to record it several times to get it just crappy enough because they just have too much talent. So thank you to them. Hey, um, let's not shortchange the inner light oh, rendition too. my personal the favorite. The literally the best reason for Picard's existence was that they did that for us. Yeah. And I still say that the strongest reason to do Enterprise is to hear what they do with their theme song. Like there's just so much potential value there. And then uh, lastly, if you are a fan of what we're doing here on this podcast, we don't make a big deal out of it, but we do have a Patreon. We keep it kind of low key because we're really just trying to make up our costs for uh, publishing the podcast and recording it since we do it uh, via some remote software. And it all comes to like a monthly cost. Uh, and those costs have gone up a little bit since COVID started. Not as much as you expect, quite frankly, considering I imagine every Tom, Dick and Harry uh, has started their own show at this point. Literally, Tom and Harry did about Voyager. So if you get a chance, check us out. Voyager, please. will find us on Patreon as well. Uh, as little as a dollar a month can feed a starving podcaster when we appreciate it. And on that note, Peter, what did we watch this week? Season six, episode six, Riddles. Season six fucking sucks, dude. I fucking hate it. I... Here's what I'm going to say. Okay, I'm ready. I'm here for it. I'm going to say up front that I understand that what we watched is probably objectively bad. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. I get where you're, go- where you're going with this. And Stevie actually agrees with you in that both it's objectively bad and also it was so close to like good in parts that it's forgivable. I'm just unable to get past the thing that we seem to have been stuck on for the last few weeks, which is the show cannot ever get out of second gear when it comes to developing its own characters. And it's like another prime time example of that just served right up to us one after another. Uh, And it is getting frustrating to watch looking at it through that lens. That said, there is there is so much in specifically what Tim Russ did in this episode that I, I liked. Yeah, man. And like Ethan Phillips, Neelix, uh, we've been talking about it since probably 
the the tail end of season five, although the problem really began early season five, and that's the complete lack of Neelix screen time, which <clears throat> whoever thought that we would be sitting there complaining about that, but you know, he's he's a strong point to the show for me. And in fact, I was driving to work today and uh, listening to the Barge of the Dead episode, and I don't know what prompted me to think about it there, but Kess, a name we haven't talked about in a long time. And when Kess left the show, we we hung on to her for a while because, again, for what I thought was going to be the worst part of Voyager, she turned out to be one of the best. And I know that there is an episode with her has to be somewhere in season six or season seven because you know i i know there's one more to go but it almost feels like neelix had become the same the same level of interaction with the show that kess was which is to say nothing so it felt good to have a neelix episode front and center and and spoiler alert if you're not ready to hear the name tuvix mentioned about two dozen times it's gonna be an episode (laughs) can can i can I make a suggestion, though? I get where you're about to go with this. And I was thinking to myself as I was reviewing the, the Memory Alpha and looking over some scenes and, and considering my thoughts of the episode before we started recording tonight. Can we put Tuvix aside just just for the rest of this episode? I I get that that's hard to do, but I feel like you we have to put it aside because clearly the writers have. Right. Like they have decided that shit did not happen. I disagree. And and I'll put Tuvix aside, but let me say my piece on this. Uh, OK, fair enough. It feels to me like this is a spiritual successor to Tuvix. And I think that if you could fantasize, if in your mind's eye, you can manufacture a scene in there somewhere early on where Neelix says, if there's anybody in this crew that knows Tuvok and knows what Tuvok's really about, it's me. And this is why it has to be me that handholds Tuvok through rediscovering himself. I think it works beautifully. So they never say Tuvix. They never mention Tuvix. But we know the history's there. And I think this plays along with the knowledge that these were the same person. Uh, these these two guys were the same person. They know each other better than anybody else on the crew. And this is why Neelix feels this obligation above and beyond being the other person on the shuttlecraft when the attack happens. So I understand what you're saying, and I want to give it some of that credit. But it's hard when they've just stared Tuvix in the face over and over again when they do these kind of adventures into exploring uh, Neelix and and Tuvok's relationship with each other, and they just can't bring themselves even to indirectly reference it. You know what I mean? It's they do everything in their power to just never be self-referential to that moment in a way that almost that does feel purposeful. That does feel purposeful. All right. Well, then don't don't look to the script writer. Don't look to the story. Don't look to anything in the writers' room for that. But but I believe that it was there for Ethan Phillips as a resource that he drew on in his performance in this. Um, so again, I understand this is objectively bad, but I enjoy it. And I don't know if you want to say maybe there's a certain degree of fan service going on 
even if it's a, a desperate, futile <laughs> hallucination um, in my own brain. But for something that was that was crappy, I I found it touching and, and I enjoyed watching. It. So um, the I do want to point out before we get too deep into talking about the episode itself is that this is the director, direct, directorial debut of Roxanne Dawson. Uh, so we we have made some reference in the past to the propensity for Trek actors to become directors at some point. Frakes very famously got so good at it, he directed some of the Trek movies uh, and has LeVar. moved on to a career. LeVar has moved on to a career of directing and Voyager uh, was no slouch when it came to that. Uh, it, it had two of its stars become essentially career TV directors afterwards, uh, the other being uh, uh, Robert Duncan McNeil. And, and now Roxanne Dawson also essentially shifted from acting to directing after Voyager. Uh, DS9 had a couple as well. Andrew Robinson actually did an episode of Voyager. He was a DS9 actor. He played Garrick. So uh, the Trek had a pedigree of doing this on purpose. If you were an actor, a regular on Trek, and you wanted to be a director, they'd put you through the paces and learn you up on how to be a director and then give you a shot at it. And some people were kind of one and done. I think Patrick Stewart did one episode of TNG and was like, no, this is not for me. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, some people really took to it. They really wanted to as a essentially life after acting. And uh Roxanne Dawson is one of those people. This was kind of rough, though, as a first time out. There's some questionable choices when it comes to direction here specifically that uh, was not behind. Uh, but she improves significantly as time goes on to the point where she does a lot of the good Enterprise episodes, believe it or not. Tim Russ was a one and done, too, right? Yeah, he did direct one episode, but I think that was that was definitely it for him. Hmm. I would be curious to hear them talk about why they were so willing to to train their own um, directors out of the staff. Like if that was a perk they needed to keep people interested in being in the Star Trek stable or if they thought maybe people who were already in that culture could pay better service to the things the fans valued. I don't know. It's it's, it's interesting. And Robert Duncan McNeil has certainly spoken to it at uh, great length on Delta flyers, but I've never really heard him say anything as to why that culture was in place where you really didn't see that in many other uh, TV shows. Well, I trick is a unique pedigree and how long running it's been, how it's multiple, you know, seven season shows. A lot of, you know, franchises do not have that level of continuity and that level of uh, cultural support. Like, and you you think of other shows out there like who else could really do something like this except for Trek? So that's probably answers part of your question. Hmm. Regardless, this is this is uh, the reason why uh, Torres is not in this episode at all, not even a moment on screen. And they don't even stop to like wistfully talk about how fondly she's remembered, like when she was uh, pregnant and missed Living Witness. So we pick up with the Delta Flyer. Uh, no Tom involved, though, and it's rare to see the Telto Flyer without Tom Paris attached, but you do have Tuvok and you've got Neelix. You got an odd couple. And uh, you said we're not allowed to mention Tuvix, so we'll skip over the last time we really saw these guys. But again, it's a pairing for me that works. Uh, you've got Tuvok trying to stay all business, and you've got Neelix trying to distract him with 
basically uh, a fuck Mary kill for the 24th century. Only it's. <laughs> Oh no! It's 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 like what am I guessing? Of? He's he's doing riddles. I mean, or like, no? He and, starts with like, uh, is it a spaceship, a solar system, or a <laughs> phenomena? But I don't know. Okay, it, hold on, hold on. I don't want to let this go. We need to play "Fuck Mary Kill Voyager" right now. That is uh, the most major on brand shit I've ever heard. Mm. All right, all right. You you open this door. "Fuck Mary Kill Voyager" edition. Hit hit me, which line them up, line them up, Peter. Hold on. I got to think who I need to kill. This is a hard <laughs> one. Uh, kill Harry, I guess. OK, I mean, it's happened once already on the show. So fair. Fuck seven. I, it seems like a gimme. Who am I marrying, Joe? Who am I going to marry? I don't know. God, should I kill Tom? He's such a whiny bitch. I'd want to marry. <laughs> I'd want to marry Balana because, like, she's smart. Could certainly open jars of pickles that are stuck. But I feel like she just can't grow as a person based on the fifteen times I've had to watch her deal with her Klingon stuff. Joe, I'm gonna marry Chakotay, man. Like, if you got a guy that can give you hot tubs on demand, mm, it's true. Yeah, and he's and he's totally okay with like if a, if a monkey cock blocks him too. So you know that's. That's that's something in his corner for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm definitely I would F Megan Delaney. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you Way know. to stray off the main cast, Joe. All right. Respect. Yeah. Uh, would mar- I would uh, marry Kess 100 percent. She's married. She's marriage material. Uh, would have to make sure that I kept Harry away from potentially having uh having sex with my children though so that's a little weird but i'm willing to deal with that and i think i would kill seven of nine because she is a borg and i do not trust her that's racist fair enough that's racist and but but you know to your point though on the cast like i did not think of the perks of being married to a demigod Mm. so but she's i'm gonna outlive her and like that's already a concern having a, a a wife five years my (laughs) that you married younger yeah i don't know Uh, if if you married up like casey casey is better than you deserve sir you know what uh (laughs) and i uh, did too an accompanied super saiyan might also be better than i deserve but like if she's not gonna be able to make it past shelf life of uh 12 years like you're just setting yourself up for heartbreak um feel free to chime in on the the trauma support group to uh with with what your voyager edition fuck mary kill would be this this is 100% requiring the participation of all Vija Please listeners. We expect tweets. We expect emails. We expect Facebook group participation. If you're on the Patreon, we want we want this information. It's desperately required. Anyway, back, Anyways, back to the not episode. cool enough to talk about that kind of stuff. And uh, we get some pretty good, like, sassy Tuvokness here, right? Tim Russ... As Tuvok traditionally does not get to break character, but eye rolls and sass are firmly within Tuvok's wheelhouse. And we get two scoops of that until finally Tuvok's like, I'm not doing this shit with you anymore with your lame ass Batman. Uh, what was the calendar villain? Was it calendar man? It was calendar man. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, I'm not doing this shit with you. I'm going to go back into the deluxe. Uh, recreation room that the Delta Flyer somehow physically has. 
I always like seeing these set pieces. It's cool that they trotted them out. Um, he goes back there, but wouldn't you know, he gets got. Yes, some uh, spoopy <laughs> alien monster. thing uh, is presently downloading their stuff. We'll find out later it is, in fact, a tentacle monster, which is great. You never actually see the quote unquote enemy alien in this episode in full, which I think was wise. Uh, better better not see it than see bad CG. Yes. Uh, but uh, Tuvok gets uh, gets tagged with a uh, bit of uh, taser juice or whatever it is they got going. And uh, it uh, knocks his brain offline. And <laughs> ne- Neelix has to pilot the ship while giving Tuvok first aid and get him back to Voyager. They do successfully get him back, but his brain is all all fried and uh, he's in a coma and they don't know if he's going to survive well, or not. Before we jump off of that, I want to just say it's. It's rare you see Starfleet armed, especially when they're just chilling out in their own shuttle. So two box packed in a phaser. I'm like, oh, man, what's what's going on here? That's kind of a, a little telegraphing. What I love, though, is Neelix also packing heat and Neelix's phaser cozy is like the same ugly ass material as his shirt. <laughs> like, what went into that? Him replicating a gun holster uh, that matches his his vile clothing choices. But <laughs> would, would it be something if he went to the went to the replicator and said, I need a matching holster and just no. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a crime against that would violate the prime directive. Forbidden. Old fashion. Tuvok's like he hits his his badge and he's like, "Hey, are you doing stuff back here?" And he's like, "Uh, no. Why?" And he's like, "I I think we're getting space mugged." And then Neelix hears him get shot up, and Neelix runs back into this like broom closet that's the aft part of the ship, and instantly gets down on his knees and like starts trying to treat Tuvok. And I'm, I don't know, have you played Apex Legends at all yet, Peter? I'm I am uh I'm 37. I can't play Apex Legends. Well, I can't either, but I do. And let okay. me tell you what. <laughs> Fair enough. Here's I what mean, I've okay. I get it. <laughs> here's what I've learned playing uh, squad-based team PvP games is when there's a bad guy who just gunned down your friend, and you've got two choices, and one is keep fighting that bad guy or get down on your knee and try and res the guy that's on your team. When you get down on your knee and try and res the guy, that's when you get shot in the head. So uh bad bad move neelix and you're lucky that the uh, tentacle monster hits it and quits it otherwise you would have gotten got to but yeah he survives it so they get back to the ship which is apparently already inhaling distance and uh, another thing i'll say to this episode is there's a lot of voyager tropes here but they don't really bother me the same way they normally do you know, two people out in a shuttlecraft getting jumped by aliens. Like, how many times has this happened now? Right? Not that often. They have a full complement of shuttlecraft. Well, don't shuttle... you remember that from last episode? No, but the I mean, full complement of shuttlecraft. Clearly, nothing ever goes wrong in those shuttlecraft ever. <laughs> but uh, you know, the one where they got to run the county line to get—I think it was swarm. Yes. Um, it, it feels like every three episodes or so, people are getting accosted in the shuttlecraft. So. You know, we're in well-worn territory, but it works. And they get back in and, uh, yeah, Tuvok's all brain scrambled. And had he been anything less than a super Vulcan, he'd probably be dead. 
So Neelix and Tuvok are on a mission to set up a trade deal with a alien race called the Kassat, who are a standard issue, furrowed browed, you know, kind of pronounced eye makeup, shithead, Delta Delta Quadrant alien, right? Nothing real special about them. And but they let them know, like, hey, our dudes got jumped in your space. And so they they send they send the police to assist. And uh, a guy by the name of uh, Fox (laughs) They send out the X-Files guy, man. They do. They do. They send out Fox Mulder uh, straight out of like, yes, I have a theory that these are secretly invisible aliens that are mythical. And uh, this is why I am not have not been promoted and I'm still a junior investigator. And I had to bribe my way into this case. Janeway is like, oh, booze. Oh, goody. <laughs> like, I'm glad that my you know second officer and tactical officer uh, could be brain damaged by a unknown interloper. And they sent me their their crackpot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is great. I'm, I'm buying that energy, right? Of like, oh, good. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, and that's thanks why for I bringing t- me onto your ship. By the way, have you ever seen Loose Change? <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah. That is a reference. Mm. That is a reference. I'm I'm not sure that everyone's going to get because that is that is an ancient meme. So this guy comes out and he's like, listen, um, says these are shadow people. My government doesn't want to admit the, their existence. They accost travelers in our space. And Janeway's like, well, how many times has this happened? And he's like, including this incident, thir- 13. And Janeway kind of rolls her eyes. I think they do. And I don't know if it was the episode's intent, but, you know, this seems like a kind of a, a, a standard Star Trek villain setup where they're trying to shift blame onto someone else. But really, it's it's a fascist government's own black ops team and and voyagers being deceived and kind of being pulled into some um, bigger political scheme, which doesn't ultimately end up being the case. But uh, I thought that they were kind of setting the table for that. Yeah, like a Rogan Denar situation. Yes, yes, yes. No, in this case, it's actually that there's mythical, invisible space squids out there who are zapping people's brains like it's turns out Fox Mulder was right all along. There are aliens. The truth was, in fact, out there. But this guy doesn't really have anything that's going to help Tuvok up front. And uh, the doctor's line on all this is basically like, I need to see the weapon that caused these damage. And that's going to be what lets me start fixing things. But for right now, unfortunately, Tuvok is going to be laying here in a coma and uh, there's not much we can do. But Neelix isn't going to settle for that. Neelix, who has had his fair share of laying on the the bed in the Tuvok Real Talk Memorial Corner, uh, pledges that he's going to get his buddy, Mr. Vulcan, out of this, and then proceeds to start robbing Tuvok blind. He gets his <laughs> little B&E Invi- going. Invites his way into his, uh, his, his quarters, no doubt, by hacking his security protocols, because we know how bad those are, mm-hmm. and just taking his shit. And yeah. It just makes so- sense to me. He's that or there his... just was no lock on the door per Voyager regulations. Absolutely. So you got uh, Vulcan flags hanging on the wall and his flowers and all of his incense and his uh, popsicle stick game and his favorite dildo. And, uh, you know, you you name it. I'm sure he's got his Shang Tsung outfit out there. 
he's just <laughs> turns again the the Tuvok real talk like medical exam, which is also sometimes you know the gas chamber where most executions take place on Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> Man, these are some all these are like season two and three deep cuts. God bless. Hey, go back and re-listen. Uh, you know, it's worth it. But uh, he just he turns that whole corner into a fucking flea market. It's a mess. I don't know if you ever saw that Sunny in Philadelphia where they find out that D and uh, Dennis's grandfather was a Nazi. Frank's been taking care of or maybe it was Charlie. And this this hospital room is just filthy with like half eaten bowls of cold soup everywhere. Oh, yeah. OK, like, yeah, yeah. The cold the cold soup uh, room and they go they go to see him. Yes, it's okay. it's horrific. And that's that's what Neelix is really shooting for here. And, um, you know, more more reaffirmation that the doctor is real people and is not a hologram, because when Neelix shows this dogged determination that he's not giving up, like you get this moment of like annoyance out of the doctor but then this warm understanding that neelix is just trying to do good and he opens the door and says you know maybe you can do something there is examples in the past of people in comas being you know awoken by familiar noises or touches and i'm like wait ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you know all he's got to do is put his hands around his neck and that is a familiar <laughs> touch to tuvok <laughs> He'll feel those those clammy cat hands and then he's going to pop right back to himself. It's all the recognition he needs. There's a story I don't want to see. And and that, again, this could have been a much worse episode. Thankfully, we got we we did. Yeah, the, the positive parts of this of the of the episode really are 100 percent in the acting chops of Ethan Phillips and Tim Russ. And particularly, I think, in Ethan Phillips, where he is feels responsible for what happened. He was there. You know, he's always wanted Tuvok to like him. He's always wanted Tuvok to respect him. Even if, if as I do, I really can't bring Tuvix into it, I bring Rise into it. Yes. You know, which is another episode that I think you really can draw upon as an example of like, okay, you know, this is something that he's really always – strive to do is is to earn Tuvok's respect and you know this is an opportunity for him to pay some of that off by taking care of him in his hour of need but to reinforce your earlier point and and our ongoing season six struggle which is you know people just caught in these loops of here's this character character a and character b this is their dynamic and it's never really going to change with a few exceptions but you know, Rye specifically, that was where Tuvok finally gave his approval to Neelix and, you know, they're supposed to grow past it. This and instead, been- you instead you get the sense that they never did. Like this episode really like hammers home over and over again. Like, no, they really didn't. And it's like, then why the fuck was Rye's, you know, a big deal? Like straight up incredible bravery on the part of Neelix saving, you know, Tuvok's life and all this other stuff like no, still wasn't enough. They still kind of stuck in the same spot in their relationship of barely tolerating him, barely tolerating Neelix. And it's uh, I, I don't want to go back to the same well since we've we've spent basically three weeks in a row talking about it. But, yeah, it's just it's stuck in second gear and can't get out. What would it have been for them just to put the one line of dialogue in when um, Neelix is describing his relationship with standard Tuvok to adult baby Tuvok? 
You I'm mean just... simple? You mean simple Jack Tuvok? <laughs> uh, I like adult baby Tuvok, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> ABT. But but you know, for him to say, you know, there was one. You know, you you would say this bad about me and this bad about me, but you know, when it did mattered, you know, you you did say that I had your respect in that. Just some sort of a throwaway line back to rise acknowledging it because again for a while voyager was doing such a good job actually remembering its own episodes and kind of starting to grow as a series so again i think you're right something something has happened there was some note passed down from the executive team to the writer's room that just said reseal the the portal to the past we we must exist only in this moment and and nowhere else uh stop with the self-references and I don't get it, but whatever. So, yeah, simple Jack Tuvok. I, I I get what he was going for. He actually does a really good job of, you know, portraying Tuvok in a much more childlike state of mind, uh, less rigid. Uh, but you, I can't help but just think of think of tropic thunder in that spot it's it's just too much the portrayal we get here by tim russ is anything but tuvok right. and i guess that's kind of the the disjointed moment of this is like it doesn't feel like this is a uh, a youthful undisciplined vulcan it just it feels like tim russ playing a really nice guy who is a little confused and I don't know what the right way to have played this character. So you still had shades of old Tuvok in there with a modified. Uh, w- with a simpler filter, I guess. Um, I, th- I think that's what was missing from this episode to to elevate it from crap to good was that instead of playing almost a, a parody like incapacitated version of Tuvok if it was like 64% Tuvok where he was clearly struggling with the fact he was brain damaged you know where he just wasn't as capable and was aware of that he wasn't as capable rather than content if there was like a real dramatic frustration with his diminished capacity I I honestly I think the the way in my own life that I can equate it to is like, yeah, if you've ever had a relative who suffered from serious neurological uh, disorders as they grow older, and there's a point where they're aware of how things are not working out and they get really frustrated with that. Like that kind of energy, I think is what the performance needed to be where I think they probably should have been. And instead it, it plays kind of, accidentally comedically and ends up killing a lot. I think of the dramatic power of the episode. I see your point. And again, I, I don't know why it, it doesn't bother me. I think it's, I, I just, I find the majority of the Tuvok Neelix stuff charming. And I think in that I'm enjoying just seeing Tim Russ playing off a of Neelix, even though it, it's, it's missing that real, real Tuvok connection. So, um, Neelix eventually, I don't know, he's playing a bunch of terrible uh, Vulcan death opera or something. And the doctor's <laughs> like, what's all this shit going on in my sick band? They're arguing. And that's the point where Tuvok sits up. But he's got basically amnesia, does not remember anything. And again, has the very diminished 
mental capacity, as well as none of the logic discipline that Tuvok did. So we've got someone who's featuring full-fledged emotions like happiness and smiling, but also getting angry and sometimes shoving Neelix around because it's fun and I don't blame him. I really liked the background that the Vulcan brain can essentially recover from traumatic brain injury on its own by rewiring itself. I thought that was neat. Like that's why he is able to come out of the the coma. Like that's why he didn't die in the first place, right? Uh, so the idea that it's such a complex you know piece of machinery up there that it will essentially try and jury rig itself so that it can continue to operate. Uh, but it's it's come at a cost, which is where I think that performance kind of note could have changed to, I think, reflect that of, you know, your engine starts, but the cylinders misfiring, you know. Um, but what we get is a kind of progression in Neelix taking care of Tuvok, where he goes from not being verbal and kind of kind of being aware of things on almost like a toddler to steadily, you know, getting his ability to express himself back uh and then eventually settling into a a a spot where he is you know downright giddy uh in his embrace of the kinds of things that neelix appreciates um we even have a scene regarding cake decorating that is ultimately uh vital to the episode shout out to you jess our biggest a uh, fan of the of the show, our biggest Patreon supporter, uh, huge v- Voyager super fan, did the cakes at my wedding. Uh, there it is. This is your moment where cake decorating is vital to an episode of Star Trek. Probably first and only time. This one's for you. Um, well, decoration specifically, yes, but let us not forget the Troy cake. That was that was a big deal. True, true. You got Fox Mulder over there palling around with seven of nine. And he has brought his vintage Nintendo Virtual Boy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really looked like that. Yeah, dude. It really did. A reverse like it was pointing out, uh, you know, the the eye holes were pointing outward like it was in reverse. Uh, but it did. It did look like that. And holy shit, did you own a Virtual Boy? No, I wasn't rich, but I do remember that like after I... Nintendo pulled the plug, like KB was selling those things for like KB toys was selling for like. 20 bucks or something ridiculous yeah i wasn't rich either and i got mine and was 20 i got i got the virtual boy in one of every game that they made for like 30 bucks and uh, i'm like oh this is gonna be so cool i got a whole nintendo system and all these games to play i got the wario game and i i played I it love for migraines <laughs> i played it for 15 minutes and i understood what pain truly meant <laughs> holy shit and you know what was really sad that Wario game was actually really good. Interesting. I've never even heard of a Wario on Virtual Boy. But anyways, Fox Mulder's like, yeah, listen, I got these goofy conspiracy theories. And also, hey, I brought my homemade inventions with me and I would love to set them up in your crime scenes and do science. So, uh, hey, Borg lady, let's go check it out. They get over to the, uh, the, the, the Delta Flyer and he sets up the Virtual Boy and says, with this, we can flood an area with uh, poopy rays and the cloaking devices that these monsters use 
we can kind of illuminate it. And this is the freshest signal we're aware of. So, you know, we might get some some good luck here. And wouldn't you know, they basically get an outline of this thing where it had attacked uh, Tuvok and see that like it's it's kind of like this Jurassic Park moment where um, Grant's like, oh, God, they're traveling in packs. I knew they'd travel. He has like, oh, <laughs> they hurt. They move in herds. They do move in herds. It's got a tentacle. I always knew it was a tentacle monster. All those. <laughs> I won't continue that thought. Um, <laughs> no, no. Continue it. Do it. All those blown out buttholes. I knew there was a tentacle. <laughs> you can't keep that kind of A plus content from our listeners, man. You got to You got to think of them. I think sometimes there's there's got to be at least one person out there trying to listen to us around their kids. And <laughs> if there is, there's just some kids who have learned some things. Even if it's me years. listening to for quality control, I got to think of myself in this. Um, <laughs> so uh, they get real excited about it and they decide that they are going to transport the power of the virtual boy home entertainment system to the main deflector. And, uh, you know, then they'll have some tool in their arsenal to try and track these things down. So we skip forward a little bit and uh, wouldn't you know it, they're ready to bring this main deflector flashlight online. And they're just lucky enough to happen to have a ship directly in front of them that they flash with this thing. And I'm like, well, that's silly. What, what are the odds that there'd be that one ship there? Well, pretty great, apparently, because it's not just the one ship. There's like. 30 ships uh yeah so, so so apparently the uh the the squid people have brought a whole bunch of dudes to uh you know stake out voyager and see what they're up to and uh, you see a whole bunch of shimmers right like they really went budget on the cg by just not designing anything except outlines <laughs> and you know same for the ships like you said, though, like sometimes it's better just to have an amorphic blob kind of half censored out than to really go deep in the paint with bad, bad, clearly defined yet low definition CGI a la Species 8472. Um, so there's a little bit of a space fight. Voyagers flying to try and track one of these things down. And we get the scene with uh, Neelix and Tuvok where Tuvok starts cowering under a table and Neelix is kind of like. Giving him that emotional support, telling him everything's fine. I don't know what shirt Neelix is wearing under his normal ugly shirt, but this thing, his sleeve pulls back and he's got like the skin tight. Kind of like reddish orange shirt. I don't know. It looks like someone's flayed all of the skin off of his arm, and he looks like something out of Hellraiser. Like, go back and watch a scene of Neelix under the table with Tuvok, but his arm looks like, again, someone just shaved off the skin. And I don't know what they were talking about at that point because it just looked like uh, he was mutilated. It was gross as hell. So th- that, and, and that's the breakthrough point where Tuvok uh, starts to vocalize and also kind of where he, uh, imprints on on uh neelix in a way of like now they're best friends i guess and that's kind of where tuvok's alternative self's journey starts to really branch off of where who where he is um up to and including uh a scene where he gets frustrated that he can't be who he was and 
as you said, he takes it out on Neelix, gives him a good shove, you know, doesn't like go do. for the throat, doesn't go for the throat, right? Like those, that part of his brain's still fried. He doesn't understand that the, that he's got a whole simulator for that on the holodeck. <laughs> but, you know, it's the only place that uh, Neelix didn't know to take him. They really could have brought him back. But, you know, gives him a good uh, super strength shove at one point. This necessitates Neelix going to uh, the mess hall and having a Neelix scene. But instead of having it with Neelix, he has to have it with someone else. So for some reason, it's seven of nine, which is a strange choice. (laughs) Not exactly who I would pull out of the Voyager repertoire of potential characters to be the emotional sounding board for Neelix. Had year of hell stayed with Voyager and there was actually that strong relationship between seven and Tuvok. Like there could have been some, yeah, some that they created and played off perfectly in that episode without having to tell you anything about it. Yeah. Like then it would have made sense to have her there. If you're just looking for like who can make Neelix feel good and who is also a bro with Neelix again, Tom Paris and Neelix should be a stronger relationship than uh, they have ended up at this stage in the series. But yeah, I don't I don't know who would have been the best choice here because uh, seven does come off as kind of cold. And she's like, yeah, you have to I don't know, reestablish his logic or, you know, understand that he. Well, I don't know. I guess it kind of makes sense because she did have to go on a journey of reinventing herself. They they find an angle for it, but it's not the right one. Like, it, OK, I get what they tried to put down there with like, you know, seven of nine isn't what she used to be. She had to become something else. But what she became was, I think, inarguably better than what she was. She was an automaton. Now she's a person that retained all those abilities that she had when she was in the Borg. Right. So this is, that that just did not play for me. Yeah, I think you I think you hit the nail on the head that needed to be Tom and it needed to be Tom relating to Neelix like giving him the uh the the emotional strength to continue by telling like you're a good man you know like you 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 have you need to have confidence in your ability to reach out to him and help him become who he can become at this point um or if tom's not the right figure for that because he's emotional intelligence is questionable at best <laughs> um i think that it, it chakotay is your next best choice because that's a character whose emotional intelligence is extremely well established, who has a deep connection with Neelix. Remember, Neelix died and his spiritual mentor became Chicote, who was stealth MVP of that episode. Um, and that he could have been the one to relate that message in a way that maybe was even more authentic. And again, if ever there was a place to acknowledge Tuvix, Neelix, if there's anybody who's cut out to do this job, it's the guy who shared the same body with him for three months. Yeah, man. Now to your seven of nine comment, because I, I got the same feeling watching the episode. Like she does a, they do a good job of shoehorning her into the scene. Like you said, like, you know, I used to be a different person. I had to uh, work through it. Janeway was there. She never gave up on me, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, so is there angle in this? And I know we said we weren't going to talk about Tuvix, but like the conundrum at the end of Tuvix is you have two people who no longer exist. And now you have a new person who wants to live. And that's 
that's what we end up ultimately by the end of this is that regular Tuvok is dead again. And you have this new person who is happy and loves life and should have a right to exist. And even if it's not as smart as uh, Tuvok on the, the bridge, you know, is a great pastry chef and gets along better with everybody, blah, 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 whatever. So so, yeah, seven of nines argument that I grew into a new person and it's a better person, like really kind of runs counter to what they're trying to do in this episode, which is ultimately recover old Tuvok's, Tuvok at the cost of new Tuvok. So uh, poor, yeah, poor choice of putting seven here with that story. So the payoff to the episode was abrupt, to say the least. Um, the ability of Tuvok to remember the attack is an ongoing thread where he keeps trying to remember and remembers parts, but can't remember the whole thing. Janeway presses him while he's on his uh, dessert binge. Well, which apparently Tuvok is a, that, is, a, is a talented dessert maker, as we find out. Before that, there is a scene in Janeway's ready room where they initially try to probe him, pump him for answers because they're looking for a shield frequency or something, right? And if you've been upset with season six and maybe the tail end of season five because there hasn't been any Janeway school of way too close talking. You're in luck here because the the gang's all in on this one, man. You got Tuvok sitting there. You got Fox Mulder over his left shoulder. You got Janeway up his ass. And then you got like Neelix hanging off his back. I haven't seen close talking like this and I can't remember how long. Uh, and that's one of the things that leads to uh, him having a meltdown. But by the time you get to that, uh, that pastry scene, um, as Janeway's talking to him, Neelix comes over to kind of like break her off and like, hey, let's not push us. And again, really kind of nurturing, like maybe we don't need the old Tuvok back, but uh, he starts to shine through. I think it the, the episode is. I don't know if it, you tell me, Peter, do you think the episode was trying to say that eventually Tuvok would have came back to his old self no matter what? I, I'm not sure if the episode was trying to establish that or not by kind of how Tuvok was slowly like rebuilding that capacity. I I think it kind of was. Don't I, you know? And again, I, I'm that that's a shortcoming of this episode is they don't really commit in the right place. Like I keep getting drawn back to this conundrum now. I was like, Neelix want Neelix wanted to bring the old Tuvok back out of an obligation to the crew that because they need an accomplished officer. Neelix also had a very selfish personal desire to st- to have simple Tuvok remain his friend uh, and not be a, a mean piece of shit. But it never is recognized like maybe this new Tuvok is a person who deserves to live and, and be happy. So, you know, since I really stayed away from all that, I think you're right. And they are saying that one way or another Tuvok would have pulled him. God, you know, but at the end, though, they had to use the weapon frequency medical procedure in sickbay to actually bring back Tuvok. So I don't know, man, not enough information on the table. I think you hit on something there, though, uh, which is Tuvok felt so different. He felt like a different character that like, is there a Tuvix question here of does this character deserve to live? And I think that's ultimately what kept me so out of it. Like, man, you are just you. You are a different person. You're not Tuvok. And it just makes this whole thing seem like 
kind of unreal in a weird way when you're watching a, a science fiction television show yet you're like this just just taking me out of it and, and it's just too much it feels like they want to shoot a puppy like you know when yeah. Tuvix died it's like man they're murdering this dude like straight right. up what mm-hmm. the fuck is this is crazier than anything that happened in threshold and in this uh neelix and and tubak are having a conversation he's like i like to smile i don't care about logic I like being your friend. I like being nice. You know, I like all of these things and I don't want to be this other person. And they're like, well, you you gotta be tough. They don't really give a lot of pushback, but ultimately they march them off to the gas chamber yet again, where, where they killed Tuvix and where the doctors suffocated countless people in his evil doctor phases. And they lay him down and one person dies and the old Tuvok comes back yet again. The abruptness was, particularly uh noticeable with uh fox Mulder because he just gives up his dream of proving that the tentacle aliens exist to help tuvok even though there's nothing to set up that he would be willing to do that right like he finally realizes his lifelong dream of of proving that these these guys are real and then is like eh, yeah well you know i'll just give up my tech that let me expose you in exchange for not for you guys helping out these people I barely know. And there's no there's no scene or predicate that suggests why the fuck he would do that. I, yeah, so they uh, they they gear out the sensor array so they're able to better detect these vessels, um, you know, within the, the sector and they find a secret cloaked base full of tentacle monsters and they roll up on it. And Janeway's like, listen, I didn't tell anybody about this yet, but you're going to play ball with me or I'm going to call in the cavalry. And they're like, no, Fox Mulder is too close. You know, he keeps trying to pull off our rubber mask and expose us. You know, these this meddling kid. And he's like, oh, sweet. I got like credit with the enemy. Like, yeah, pat on my own back. And exactly what you say. Uh, he's like, listen, you got to help these guys out. No, we don't share technology. Well, I'll give you mine. And in this this moment of selfishness, you'll realize we're not pulling other people in. You can evolve your technology. And like you said, I'll throw my dream away of exposing your conspiracy to the echelons of my government that already, I'm sure, knows you're there and and black goo or whatever else was going on with X-Files at that point. And what they needed there was a moment where they're like, "Okay, fine, Uh, you give us this and we'll help that Vulcan guy out. And that's that. And then they cut comms and like Fox looks at uh, Janeway's like, you're going to give me sensor records on all the stuff. And like, Jay, we're like, yeah, totally dude. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, we got you to worry. Obviously fucking alien tentacle monsters. Like, please two legs or die, bitch. <laughs> uh, and then, then, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Tuvok comes back to his real self. They have his, he and Neelix have a really weird scene in the, the mess hall where he kind of, doesn't at all acknowledge anything that happened, but makes a joke about the riddle that began the episode. And that's supposed to be the, Oh, Neil, you they understand each, each other better now, which is just would have been way better served by, you know, three sentences of genuine dialogue of, of Tuvok being like, you know, Neelix, I understand, you know, how you attempted to help me. And it was appreciated, you know, reserved thanks you know acknowledgement would have been so better there than 
making a joke about eating the Sundays. Like, get fucked. Please either, go to hell. Either he was making a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge joke of like, hey, the fun me's still in here somewhere. Uh, or it, it kind of comes off as like, Tuvok's got brain damage. <laughs> Tuvok actually came out of that with like permanent brain damage and something is, is wrong with this dude. But no, yeah, it, I, this episode absolutely deserved a, a heartfelt resolution there. And instead you get this, uh, you know, they might as well have some trombone music in the background. And then you could have had like Jonathan Frakes make like the goofy eyes like, mm, oh, my goodness. And then, you know, they they rolled the credits. So kind of a cop out shitty ending. But uh, again, I, I towards like the last five minutes of the episode, I'm like, this should suck ass, but I'm feeling it. And especially compared to the rest of the stuff we've seen in season six so far, like there's a lot of mediocre, normal paint by number Voyager stuff here, but it it feels good to watch and it works for me. So uh, I'm going to call it a good episode. I cannot. It, it, it besides the issue with Tuvok's portrayal uh, as simple Jack Tuvok just being way out there. Uh, and the show's inability to really connect to the the emotional tissue that it is, you know, building up, um, just makes it fall apart for me in a way that's deeply unsatisfying, and just simply reminds me of the complaint that we've had several weeks running about the show unable to maturely address its own continuity. So to grow and, and that's that's yeah. the way to sum this and up. It's infuriating. It's fucking infuriating because it, it was close. It was so close. But the gap between where it was and where it needed to be is uh, still so important to good storytelling. All right, Joe. Next, we're going into season six, episode seven, Dragon's Teeth. And we've got a white bony face guy who looks a lot like Skeletor from Masters of the Universe. Voyagers pulled into a subspace corridor traveling 200 light years until pushed out by the Turi who claim ownership of the labyrinth. Remember this one? Oh, I do. I do quite well. Peter, I have a request for you. It's very important. If your request is that I'm not allowed to say the name Tuvix anymore, I deny. Okay, no. My request is that under no circumstances before we record on this episode, do you read the memory alpha? Watch the episode absorb everything it has to say don't i don't want you to spoil yourself about anything that comes as a consequence of this don't read the memory alpha this is my request wait wait so so don't read the memory even after i watch the episode even after you watch the episode don't read it don't read it all right i can i can grant you that excellent that's very important and is in no way shape or form going to be the sort of thing that creates alarm claxians in everyone else's mind And we'll see everyone next week.